The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. So if you're listening live, you're welcome to join us in the discussion with your comments and questions. You can call us right now at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. We'd love to hear from you. Facebook users, you can also message us during the show or anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner. And just as with phone calls, your anonymity is always respected. So today's show is titled Hidden Talents, Skills, and Abilities. You know, in active addiction, we often used our skills and abilities to serve our own needs and our own addictions. But in recovery, we have this opportunity we get to learn to use our gifts in service to others. And so today, we want to share how we move from using skills and abilities in service to self to using them in service to the world and finding joy and freedom along the way. Our theme for today is starting over. I'm sure uh, all of us touched by addiction can relate to the desire to start anew with a clean slate, and here we are after a holiday. So maybe for you, today is, is the day to do exactly that. So to that end, uh, let's talk about the ways we used to use our skills and abilities, what we learned as we moved into recovery, and how we use them now in service to the world. So Lonnie, if you think back about skills and abilities, you know, what it, what it used to be like, uh, what comes to mind? Well, what it used to be like was all centered on addiction. It was all the planning and organizing to make sure that I had what I needed when I needed it and I got what I want when I wanted it and um, you know and I and I when I was pondering the topic for this I'm going well what kind of skills and abilities did I think I had anyway and I find that you know growing up I didn't really feel like like I had anything special you know it was it was uh, just kind of what evolved in the course of survival when I think back, I guess I think of two two different periods. You know, uh, always as I consider my life, I think back to what it was like when I was a kid, and then uh, you know what it was like as an adult, although pre-recovery. You know, like like many have said, and I've have now come to say myself, I I'm seeing my life as two distinct 
phases, if you will, you know, everything prior to recovery and everything after recovery is a very stark and clean uh, shift there for me. But if I think about myself as a kid, and, and I don't know that this is really that different for all people. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I guess I mean to say I'm not sure that this is specific to those of us um, with addictions, but I think I did not have a good sense of my skills and abilities as a kid. One thing that always comes to mind is that I was convinced that I was not creative. Um, and looking back on it, I can see that's not true at all. In fact, I've was very creative and always have been. I just didn't understand the nature of creativity. So to me as a kid, I thought of myself as not being creative um, because my experience of creating things was so very, very different than my experience of you creating things. When you did it, it was magic and it came out of nowhere. When I did it, it was plain and pedestrian. All I did was take some stuff from here, and then I kind of put it with this other stuff from here, and then I put it with that stuff, and that's all I did. Well, guess what? That's what creativity is. It just looks different from the inside than it does from the outside. So that whole story is just a way of saying, you know, I don't think I had a very good picture of uh, my skills and abilities or of myself in the world when I was a kid. Well, I really resonate with that because, you know, that's that's been a, a struggle. Actually, a major part, I think, of my spiritual journey has been to to understand not just skills and abilities, but um, a reality check. You know, how I show up on the outside and how I feel on the inside have never felt like they matched. You know, and I would hear people say, oh, you do that so well. And I'm going, man, on the inside, it sure didn't feel like it. It felt like a total disaster. And, um, you know, and so just trying to to get a reality check on that sometimes has been a challenge. And I and I wonder sometimes where that came from. And I think back about being a kid and I think about one year I grew six inches. You know, my whole world shifted the perspective of my world. I'm as tall as adults now, but I don't feel like an adult. You know, I don't have the emotions of an adult, but I am their size. And so they're treating me differently than they did before. You know, so I feel like my whole view of the world has been um, off in some direction or another, probably ever since I was a kid. I wonder if that just means that we're somehow observant because I have that exact same experience. And I'm, I'm guessing that that's very, very common among all people, not just among uh, those of us uh, with addictions. And I have had that experience recently. Uh, and I think I'd shared with you offline that uh, I had a terrible Sunday. Uh, I, I felt like I couldn't put two sentences together. The Sunday service was a disaster for me. Not the whole thing, but my part in it, you know, the part where I stand up in the front and talk. Uh, I, and I would just, you know, it's unbelievable. And I decided that I would share that experience, you know, instead of pretend it didn't happen, hope it goes away, hope nobody noticed, I would share it. And what I learned was I was the only one that saw it that way, for real. That was after I you know, looked at people and said, are they just saying that to make me feel better because it was that bad? <laughs> no, they really didn't see it as bad at all. And so that's, for me, that's an ongoing unfolding lesson. You know, how I see things, the difference between my, you know, my insides compared to what I observe in the outside. It's a, it's an ongoing, I'll just call it a growth curve because certainly I've made progress, but I suspect that's um, the same for all of us. But those of us with addictions, we deal with it in different ways. We deal with the discomfort of that disconnect 
I think, in different ways. Or at least I can speak for myself that I know that that's true. And then that's what landed me in this camp, the camp of uh, blessed recovering addicts and drunks and alcoholics. You know, I think that um, another aspect that fed into mine was that at some point I decided to allow others to define my world for me. They call that codependency now, you know, <laughs> and and so if what you said, I took it to be the gospel truth. What you if you said I needed to be this way or that way or do this or do that or that the world was square or whatever. OK, you know, I put people on a pedestal. I made them into an authority figure on and they didn't have to have any particular credentials for that other than they were not me. You know, my insecurity uh, and anxiety was so high that it was like anybody else that had uh, an authoritarian manner about them. They had to be right, you know. And so I I allowed um, all of these influences in my life that really skewed my my sense of the world in a way that um, I really resonate with the line in the book that says we cannot tell the true from the false. And this was before I ever picked up a drink. Yeah, I, and I, I feel the same way in, in that statement you just made, cannot tell the true from the false, is I know just about the way that my mind is wired. That's a core uh, concern, ongoing uh, focus of mine, is telling the difference between what is real and what's not real. And, uh, and I feel like my, you know, my whole life is um, you know, grown up around or developed around that. Now, th- that can have a downside, uh, when it's disconcerting and I don't know who to trust and I don't know how to figure out uh, what's true or what's real and what's not. Uh, but then again, that pursuit of the real can become a very powerful asset, I think, once I'm you know, no longer looking to uh, cover up the discomfort with substances and behaviors and whatever and, and willing to engage it um, head on. Uh, one thing that I that I knew I was good at as a kid that I, then I was right. You know, I'm still good at and carried forward is just being observant. And I was super quiet as a child. I'm, I'm geared to understand. And the one, the way that I understand by watching how stuff works and that stuff could be the way that people interact. It could be, you know, the power dynamics of people in a room. It could be the way this person act when they talk to them is different than the way they act when they talk to them. Just sort of silently taking in everything that's going on. Um, I have carried that ability forward and, and it made me very, very good at figuring out how things worked. Now, figuring out how things worked was completely useless uh, when uh, attempting to um, stop drinking, basically. Uh, but it did help me to kind of really get the program in a deep way. And, and working the program is what helped me uh, to move out of a life of addiction and into a life of recovery. You know, one of the things that I remember is um, one of the skills that I had early or abilities, I'm not sure which, is resourcefulness. You know, and I and I find that in a lot of people that are in recovery in our situation is that, you know, I am resourceful. I am going to get what I want one way or the other. And I can remember when I was five years old, we had a horse. We lived on a ranch and that we had one horse and my dad was a ranch hand and they had like 30 horses that he was responsible for. And, and so our horse was in with that. His name was Rusty. I wanted to ride Rusty. I was five years old and I can remember going to my mom and saying, well, uh, can I ride Rusty? And what she said to me was, if you can catch him, you can ride him. 
Now, anybody in their right mind would probably not think a five-year-old could could coax a horse <laughs> out of a out of a group of thirty horses and co- coax them over to the fence. But I did, and I got on him, and I had a piece of twine around his neck, and then I fell off, of course. But you know, I mean, I was resourceful. I would figure out how to get what I wanted, and it had nothing to do at that point about with drugs and alcohol. Wow, that that's a that's a skill that can go both ways because it, what I'm hearing is uh, a woman who knows how to get things done. And that <laughs> is quite a powerful skill. But if getting things done means drinking a lot or supplying oneself with alcohol, yeah, I can kind of see the downside of that. I have sort of a theme in my life. I realized as uh, we put our show together today and it goes like this. I really loved blank, but I had no idea how to blank. So looking back, I now I now know I really love people, but I had no idea how to communicate. You know, I just I bless their hearts. My family's wonderful, great providers, good uh, people. But I don't think that we were really great at communicating, you know, what was going on uh, inside of us. Another example of that is I, I, have a, I love I have a great love for and an ear for music. So I love music, but nobody in my family was a musician or an artist of any kind, you know, and i and I encounter things or think about things like, uh, you know, there's a great songwriter, Randy Newman, who's who's written a ton of music for movies. He's just a world-class writer. And I, I remember hearing an interview with him. That guy grew up in Los Angeles in a family of composers. It's like, no wonder. It's almost, it's no fair. No wonder he gets to be such a great songwriter. All his uncles are professional composers. His dad was a doctor, but all the rest of them. And so I just didn't, you know, have the support around me. So my perspective on my skills, you know, my ability to assess what's going on and and who I am and how all this works was was definitely challenging, let's say. So now that we know about this challenge of having this skewed view of ourselves and our skills, what's the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm that spiritual growth is all about a shift or more likely an unfolding series of shifts, shifts in perception or consciousness, changes in the world which follows suit, and, and uh, so our behavior follows after that. And there's no sense in our, in our unity understanding of something that was lost that we have to somehow regain, or that we as human beings are in any way inherently deficient. It's quite the opposite. Well, sure, we may be carrying false ideas, and that can cause us to show up in ways in the world that are less than our true potential, but that's not an indictment of who we are in the core of our being. It's just the opposite, in fact. We recognize that we all carry that spark of the divine within us as our core nature, and that we change our life experience by recognizing and growing our awareness of that fact, and then making different choices, which is under our control. And that's what we want to focus on today. So how do we recognize these changes when we get into recovery? What does it look like or feel like to begin to live from the inside out? from that awareness of that Christ consciousness first and the world around us second. Dan, in the recovery literature, it calls this a spiritual awakening when this happens. So what's your experience with this process? Oh, man. Well, I can't answer that because it's ongoing. That's my first thought. Uh, but I have had a lot of experiences. You know, that that word that you used about unfolding, I think, is probably the, the best word I've heard to describe what it's like to sort of travel this path. That's how I like to think of it. I'm traveling this path of uh, recovery, traveling this path of spiritual growth, if you will. 
Um, I think Ram Das uh, talked about it as, uh, you know, we're all accompanying each other on our walk back home to God or to spirit, or I find that a comforting way to look at it. Um, one thing that I found, so I'm just going to jump into a specific example. Uh, it developed slowly over time. And one thing that I found that was unexpected was a forum for connecting with people. You know, I, I'm not sure what I thought recovery was going to be like, you know, when I very first got into it. I was pretty sure I didn't want anyone to know that I had a problem with alcohol. I did not want anyone to know that I was hanging around with these people that were called alcoholics and that I was going to these meetings and blah, blah, blah. Um, that was sort of my very first, um, you know, that's where I was. That was my worldview at the beginning. Well, that changed fairly quickly as I began to show up in the group and listen to what people were saying and sort of observe what was going on and find out that, well, there's a whole bunch of wonderful people here and they're fun and funny. And I kind of really get how they're wired and they kind of really get me as well. And it's, and I like being among a group of people that, um, I feel like where I'm understood and, and where they, uh, understand me. So part of uh, a significant part, of spiritual growth for me has been the through connections and people and a significant way that that happened was connections with other people in addiction recovery. I mean, that that's where I've, it was almost, uh, almost a gimme, you know, it was a, it was an easy way to connect with people who had so much common experience that it was, you know, uncanny. Uh, and that just that connecting experiences that built and built and grow grew over time, and has become a real source of growth for me. I hope that makes sense. But man, connections with others. And you know, that's that's the uh, opposite of where I had found myself. By the time I got to the program, I had become so isolated because I didn't want my coworkers to know what I was doing, and you know, and I didn't want my family to know, and I didn't want only a couple of close friends that that did the same things that drank and drugged like I did that wanted to do those same things to know how bad I was. And you know, I rotated liquor stores by day of the week, and you know, mm -hmm. all kinds of things to this deceptive, dishonest type of uh, behavior. And so, you know, when I got into the program, one of the first things I was introduced to was a concept called a spiritual principle. And the principle was honesty. And, and that really started changing my life because it made me stop every single time I said something or did something and, and ask myself, are my words and actions matching? You know, or am I being deceptive? Am I, am I omitting something? Am I trying to pretend something is a different way than the way that, that it really is? You know, what is my motive underneath this? And so be, being introduced to the idea that a spiritual principle can guide my behavior and my thinking on an hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute basis started changing how I was showing up in the world. Yeah, I think that in, in itself, in a way, is like that is a great definition of spiritual growth because it's it's a complete shift in a worldview and a realization. This is what I'm hearing reflected back, a realization and a recognition that there are aspects, we'll just call them aspects of the universe, you know, spiritual principles, elements of the divine, whatever you want to call them, that truly are in play. And when we become aware of them, man, it can completely change our lives as we kind of get in tune with them. 
I think that's that's a, a great description that you just gave. I have heard, and this really stuck with me, I've heard of addiction described as having lost the ability to choose. And the reason that that has stuck with me over these years is because that that is exactly what my experience of it was. And um, as I continue on my recovery path, it it describes well, um, you know, an, a, a central aspect of the, this whole unfolding that we call spiritual growth is that I'm more and more over time uh, recovering the ability to choose in lots and lots of different ways. Uh, recover, uh, the ability to choose how I respond to and react with people who may see the world differently than me, for example, certainly began with the recovering the ability to choose not to engage in uh, you know the behaviors, not picking up a drink and whatnot. Um, that I was doing before, that that's where it begins. But man, it very quickly expanded way beyond that. And I began to recognize over time and realize that this whole concept of consciousness and, as you say, uh, spiritual principle uh, of choice, of thought process, of internal support, you know, kind of divine support, for all these changes that we go through um, is very, very powerful stuff. And it's, it's become the way that I organize my life nowadays. You know, in the beginning, it was just, you know, the stuff I had to do in order to be okay. You know, basically it started, well, I don't want to die. You know, it's kind of the beginning of it. And, and that and has turned into, instead of, you know, I don't want this bad thing has turned into, I want more of this wonderful way of living. Well, on all of those spiritual principles, as, as we talk about them, um, you know, I, I'm thinking of more and more of them. You, you mentioned, you know, what's the next right thing to do? You know, you implied that. And I didn't know when I came in what the next right thing to do was, but I could ask somebody or I could say, well, what does what does the book suggest or what, what are the guidelines here? You know, and people said things like only do one day at a time. Oh, well, you know, I'm a planner. I'm a thinker. I'm a schemer. I've got, I've got, you know, next year planned out in my head. And you mean I have to get my head back into today? You know, but that proved to be a very valuable tool for me because I was spending all this emotional energy and angst thinking about, oh, what if, what if, what if, what if, you know, way out there next week or the week after that or not realizing that the actions I took today would influence all of that and would shift it in a different direction. And that if I could just stay with today. And so my life started changing when I started just putting one foot in front of the other and doing what's next. What's the next right thing? I'm keeping it simple is what I keep telling myself. And that's what I'm hearing you describe. Life is so much easier if I just keep it simple. You know, I don't know that I had that ability. I was also and still am in many ways a planner. Nothing wrong with planning, but I don't want to center my life around it. You know, it's okay when it's a tool that I'm using. It's not okay when it kind of has me, when my life is something that it seems to be using. So I found this whole unfolding kind of process. And, and, and the way that it looks right now to me is, you know, beginning with sobriety, uh, which enters into a period of intense self-discovery, you know, that this sort of uh, happens quick it doesn't happen at all then it begins to happen then it seems to happen very quickly and then it kind of uh, continues to happen but not not in such a upheaval manner as it did 
before. So in that self-discovery comes a recognition of skills, like a new way of seeing um, the skills that I have, a new ways of understanding, which leads back to choice. We talk about addiction being the loss of choice, and so recovery is regaining choice. I get to decide how to use those things. So from getting sober to self-discovery to recognition of skills to reapproaching how I choose to use those skills um, is a way that I've seen this thing we call spiritual growth unfolding. And, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's a wonderful journey and I wouldn't change it for the world. Sometimes, you know, people who aren't familiar with the path that we walk, um, you can kind of see it on their faces just like, Oh my God, you don't, you're not allowed to drink. That's the words that you're not allowed to drink. Well, I guess I'm allowed to. I just don't want to. Trust me. Believe me, it's not helpful. I don't want to. And if somebody came to me and, and with, with no shred of doubt whatsoever, I knew absolutely that this was the truth, that there's some pill that I could take that made it so I could drink like normal people, I would not do it. I don't even have to think twice about it. I would never give up the way of living that I've discovered that we call recovery. Well, because, and I agree with that, because that's been, that's been the path through which we found the spiritual awakening, you know, and it's, it's, um, if you have a pill, what's the path, you know, it's a glass of water and that's, and that's about it. And so there's no development in that. Not that I've loved every minute of this development by any means, <laughs> you know, but, um, you it's know, so boring. Yeah, no, it's not boring. <laughs> So earlier I mentioned about being resourceful and stubborn and getting what I want. Well, one of the things that I learned, um, somebody helped me understand that that is also a skill, but it's called tenacity. And it could be used to not give up, to don't quit, to do one more day, one more prayer, one more meeting, one more phone conversation, one more inventory. You know, I could, I could, if I want this thing called recovery and I want this thing called sobriety, I can do that. I can turn that skill and that, that natural ability I have to hang on to things and, and give it a different target. I want sobriety. What am I going to do for it? You know, and I was introduced to another idea, which was go to any lengths. What, what lengths am I willing to go to? And they said, well, take a look at your addiction. What lengths were you willing to go to? like walking several blocks in a snowstorm to pick up a case of beer. Okay, will you do that to go to a meeting? Will you do that to go meet your sponsor? Will you do that to pick somebody else up and take them to a meeting? You know, I have to put equal effort in. And that, so that helped me shift my perception of what what I was applying my stubbornness to. That, that yeah, skill of tenacity. I can see that. And I love the, I love the way that um, you've presented uh, sort of two sides of any ability. You know, we talk about, uh, you know, the right use of this skill or that skill, kind of borrowing from the Buddhist. And uh, one silly way, I'll, I'll close with this. Uh, I say, I'm not, I'm not lazy, I'm efficient, right? That's a new way to look at things. It's, it's, it's an asset when I apply it in a spiritual manner and otherwise not so much. So hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from you. The phone number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us.
You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Rev. Wendy Craig Purcell, taken from a talk called The Plan Unfolds. One of the other aspects of helping to really identify a true new beginning is being willing to sit in deep questions and pay attention to your answers to those deep questions. Deep questions like, what does my soul really long to do and be? If I didn't have to worry about paying bills, what would I really want to do? I'm not suggesting that you drop the the real responsibilities of adulthood, but you can drop that from your process of questioning. What does my heart and soul long for? And what do I need to do to begin to build my life, more of my life, to look like that? To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Experts say picking up a pen and paper and writing things down can have some amazing benefits. Spark some creativity by sketching, doodling, and writing down what you want in life with a set of Unity Inspiration Notepads. They come in three inspirational designs with themes of gratitude, intention setting, and visualization. These are great tools to keep on your desk and use every day. Just $12.99 for a set of three. Pick up yours today at unityonline.org shop. What if a handful of ordinary, conservative Americans agreed to visit Egypt and talk to some ordinary Muslims to ask their questions directly and compare their cultures and religions? See Hearts and Minds open up in the new documentary, Free Trip to Egypt, which chronicles their journey and reveals their insights into Muslims and themselves. Free Trip to Egypt will be screened in a thousand theaters on June 12th. Find a showing near you at freetriptoegypt.com. Create a path to success and prosperity with May McCarthy and Abundance Incorporated every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central on UnityOnlineRadio.org. A co-founder of seven successful companies, an angel investor, best-selling author, and international speaker, May will help you each week with spiritual and practical tools you can use to create a life that you love with greater health, happiness, wealth, and freedom. Join the show live with your questions or listen later on demand right here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We'll resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. 
Again, the number is 816-251-3555. And prior to the break, we were discussing our skills as we saw and used them pre-recovery, both when we were little kids and just in the time before we entered in recovery, and then what happened as we moved into recovery. So, Lonnie, now that we know about this challenge of our old skewed sense of ourselves and our skills and the way we used to use or maybe misuse them, and that the solution is a a new way of seeing that we find in recovery and spiritual growth, what does it look like as that unfolds? You know, how, how do we see ourselves now and how do we choose to use our skills today? What's different well, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> Just pick one. <laughs> pick one. Well, you know, the very first thing that I can remember about something changing was, it sounds silly, but I decided to start using my seatbelt. I had been in the habit of of uh, just jumping in the car and running around doing my errands and what have you and not necessarily wearing a seatbelt. And and yes, it was the law. And yes, I knew it was a good idea and, you know, all of those sort of things. But I wasn't in the habit of doing that. And I was, I don't know, a few weeks into recovery and somebody said something in a meeting to the effect that I didn't get sober. I didn't go through all this pain getting sober to kill myself in a car wreck. And I'm going, well, that makes sense. You know, I think I'll start wearing my seatbelt. You know, and so it wasn't anything profound, but I started doing little things like that that indicated I was taking care of myself better. You know, I started paying attention to, I was told if I haven't eaten in six hours, I need to eat because, you know, early recovery, um, I had a lot of um, emotional roller coaster type things going on. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, they told me. You know, if I'm if I'm hungry, well, I didn't feel hungry. My stomach didn't tell me I was hungry. My stomach didn't work that way. So they say, if you hadn't eaten in six hours, you need to eat. You know, so I mean, it was little things like that where I started taking care of myself that started shifting my world. Because when I was a more emotionally stable, because I was physically stable, then I could start to see things differently. Yeah, so true. I mean, things build on one another. It's, uh, you know, we talk about a, a trifold disease, if you will. The solution is also not a monolith, right? I've found it to be, it's a, um, it's a sort of a, interlaced set of changes and views and habits and abilities and actions, of course, all mixed up together. So, uh, so I was asking myself, you know, how do we, how do we recognize any changes, any shifts that have occurred for us in recovery or what, what does it look like or feel like to live as what we call, you know, living from the inside out? Um, one thing that I've noticed today in general is that I am much calmer than I used to be. I I always used to appear calm on the outside. And I think that people thought that I was calm on the inside, not the case. Uh, I had a very active mind, you know, driven, as we say, by a thousand forms of fear. Um, And now I find today that I am truly uh, much calmer. I'm probably more active on the outside, but more in balance, you know, more in integrity, if you will. The the way I'm showing up on the outside is much more like the way I am on the inside now. And overall, I'm just a lot less likely to get flustered, um, to get upset about things. I still do, but it's just much less likely. And I attribute all of this to uh, the recovery process, the uh, the change in consciousness that I've experienced uh, on the spiritual growth path, you know, living life based on principle, like we talked about before, uh, living what I 
call a God-centered life. I know that can mean different things to different people, and that's fine. I know what it means to me, and it has helped me to come into balance and to really experience the world in a radically different way and to, and to generally, genuinely feel good and uh, calm and balanced in the world. You know, for me, one of the things that uh, I noticed started changing was this. It talks about it in the book. It calls it a profound alteration to in reaction to life. You know, life happens. Life on life's terms. We talk about that. And you know, it. Um, previously, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't say I was a hysterical kind of person, but I had uh, widely varying emotional responses to life. You know, anything from shutting down on, to something that was really a big deal, and I should have had some response to, to making a big deal out of little things, you know, I mean, and, and, and all manner in between. But the biggest one that sticks out for me was um, I came home one day, and my mom lived about an hour away or so, and she had been at my house and left a note in the door. And she uh, put in the door, gee, I'm sorry I missed you. Um, I wanted to tell you how proud I am of you. You are so much less angry than you used to be. Now, I was totally unaware that I was angry. If somebody had asked me if I was angry, I would have denied it. You know, I mean, it was never okay in my household to be angry. There was only one person who was allowed to be angry, and that was dad. You know, so that was not a word in my vocabulary. And to have somebody outside of me, somebody close to me, pick up on that and go, I don't know what's going on. I was about six months clean, I think. But you're a whole lot less angry. Something had shifted. Something had changed. Yeah, that that really is a powerful way to kind of get an out literally it's an outside perspective one that you can know that you can trust someone that knows you i think that's wonderful to have that experience uh because you know as as we go through our recovery uh, process everything seems to happen in slow motion and we don't notice any difference at least i don't right. um, yeah well that, that's wonderful to hear um one thing i know that's different for me now and and this is you know, this continues to unfold. And so certainly more recently, it's it's much stronger than it's been. I have this deep sense that, that really that all is well. You know, things are okay. Uh, not that there aren't any problems in the world. I can see that there are. I could sit here and list a whole bunch of them as I understand. But it's not that. It's that underneath all of that, there's something uh, stronger, if you will, something more powerful, more important. You know, we're talking now about principle again, uh, rather than, you know, in the program, we talk about principles versus personalities. So these uh, divine ideas, if you will, as immutable core that we can build upon instead of, you know, the the uh, the re the soup of the day, you know, when it comes to whatever happens to be going on in the world, and so I have a I have a deep sense that all is well in the world for real. It doesn't mean that I'll never be challenged. It doesn't mean that I'm somehow immune from uh, you know accidents or tragedies in my life. It's that they don't hold power over me uh, like they used to. That underneath it all is something. Um, much more important, much stronger than all that. I call that God. We'll call it God, spirit, uh, principle, divine mind, you know, many, many different uh, phrases that we have. Uh, to me, it's all pointing at a very similar thing. And that is a profound difference um, in recovery than what it was like the way that I lived before. Oh, I had had that same experience. Um, you know, prior, I thought everything was up to me. 
I had this concept of God that was somebody else's concept and it did not work for me. And so I felt like it was, I'm in this alone, you know, I'm all by myself and me and you against the world, whoever I was paired up with at that moment in time. And, you know, there were, there's two places in the book. It talks about, um, it says deep within, within every man, woman, and child is a fundamental idea of God. I missed that statement within for three or four years until it was pointed out to me that it, this, this exists within me, this idea of God, this, this core principle, this core divine spark of life, this, this something that I can rely on. And later in the book, it talks about how we can find this unsuspecting, unsuspected inner resource. And I call it higher power because, you know, people have baggage around all these different words that we use to describe this thing. But that, when I found that and found a way to connect with that, um, sometimes I don't feel like everything is going to be okay, but I know that everything is the way it is supposed to be, or it can't be any other way at this moment in time. And there's some level of of stability to the world or to the uh, to my world. And, and so that helped me immensely to understand that I, all I have to do is pay attention to my own business, you know, inside my hula hoop. And if I do that, that this other thing that's inside of me and inside of everybody else is going to kind of take care of the outcome of the rest of it. Yeah, it's that kind of calm confidence. And even yeah. as you say, even though it doesn't mean that, I don't know, I guess in my words, the challenges won't happen. Uh, a calm kind of confidence that that it's still okay somehow, yeah. you know, and not not dependent on um, circumstances. I suppose. You know, I had a, a mentor, a spiritual teacher, a minister um, years ago. That if I would say something like, you know, everything is good, you know, everything is going to be fine, he would sort of stop me and just say, everything is. That's where he wanted to end the sentence. Everything is. And I get what he's saying. I don't know that I live from that place now. That That is an expression of such a deep degree of acceptance that there's no need to qualify. Everything's okay. Everything's not okay. Everything's going to be fine. No, no, no. Everything is. Just stop right there. I'm still working on that. Um, I have found, though, that all of this has made it so my life experience is that that I am I carry much less of a sense of urgency around you know I used to carry a sense of urgency around all kinds of things it is almost a default um, way of being in the world and and nowadays I carry much less urgency and a lot more of what I would call purpose you know sort of a again, this theme of a, a deeper running current, however we conceive of it, that, um, you know, I'm always, always remember that, uh, image of the ocean, you know, even when there is a, a very violent storm in the ocean and maybe the surface is a very dangerous and unpleasant place to be, um, you don't have to go down very far. You're talking about 10, 20, 30 feet uh, before all that stuff starts to fade away. You get 50, 100 feet. You're like, what storm? You know, that, that there's, a, there's a depth to this way of living in that, as we talked about earlier. Uh, I have a choice. You know, I begin to develop the ability to choose. It's like, okay, so yeah, the storm's going on, but I don't have to hang around here, right? I can balance with a perspective from 100 feet down and know that 
you know, we say things like this too shall pass. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that when we use it not as a way to put our head in the sand, but as a way to recognize, you know, there's more going on than just this. That There's a current that runs far, far deeper than all of this. In the, um, you know, in the Narnia books, they called it the deep magic, I think. You know, that was one way of C.S. Lewis approached this whole God concept thing, this divine mind uh, thing is to call it the deep magic and deep is a good word for it. It, it runs underneath everything. So I'm just a lot less urgent. I, I can be urgent when it's time to be urgent. And sometimes I'm urgent when, you know, maybe I don't need to be, but I don't live my whole life that way. You know, it's again, it's about choice. I think I've recovered some sense to choose when to be, when things are urgent and when they're not. You know, and you mentioned the word choice, and I think that is a critical piece. Uh, when you opened the show, we talked about how we, um, one of the definitions of addiction is that we have lost the power of choice. Well, that is after we take that first drink or drug. However, we have trained ourselves to think we have no choice, and at least I did. And when I got um, clean and sober and on the other side in recovery, I had to relearn that I had choices. For example, you were just talking about when, when uh, things were uh, probably un unpleasant or uncomfortable. One of my choices is to walk away. One of my choices is to not engage. You know, one of my choices is to engage. I have choices about that where in the past I would freeze. And I would feel stuck and I would feel helpless and I wouldn't be able to move out of that. And, you know, as I experience life one little, I don't know, minute at a time, I got these, these choices in front of me that I started to recognize. Oh, I don't have to do it this way. I don't have to because somebody told me that was the right way or because I was raised this way or whatever. I do have choices here. Now, many times I needed help in identifying choices. What would you do? What did you do? How did that work for you? You know, before I could figure out what I needed to do next. But that was part of the unfolding for me was um, allowing myself to utilize that power of choice that we're given. Yeah, I love that. Um, you're, you're shining a light on the one, one, a choice that we always have in front of us is, am I going to stay here or not? You know, is, is this mine to do? Or not, or as I remember seeing float around on Facebook years ago, am I just going to say, not my circus, not my monkeys? You know, this has nothing to do with me. Just because someone tosses me a ball doesn't mean I have to catch it. You know, I, I have a choice. I'm not subject to uh, everything that other people do. Um, that, that's reminding me that this, you know, I talk about a deep sense that all is well, less urgency in general in my life. And, and this has led to a knowing that, that I'm, I'm okay, you know, just as I am. Certainly I have room for improvement. Uh, sometimes I make mistakes, you know, all, all of that continues. But again, that theme of underneath it all, I'm okay. And feeling that way allows me to express myself, um, authentically. And that right there, you know, as soon as that door opened and I realized, oh, uh, I can just actually for real, like share who I am, how I am, um, and know that it's okay. All this sort of baggage fell away. I didn't realize, and I'm realizing now I must have thought, or I must have been carrying a, a whole, you know, a heavy theme of, well, I've got to, I got to 
act like they do. I got, I got to watch what they do and learn to do it right. And then I got to do it that way. And never a thought to, you know, well, what is right for me? What do I care about in all this? What's true about this for me? We call that, you know, living authentically. That's something that I had to learn and am still learning um, over time. But these other things that have kind of led up to the idea that, you know what, maybe it's true that I'm, it, that I'm just exactly okay the way that I am. That will let me express the truth of who I am. And then it becomes a, you know, a, a self-supporting spiral, you know, rising spiral, if you will, um, that, you know, it's, it's the opposite of that. uh, What do we call that? The, the death spiral or whatever. It's, it's a life spiral. It is a, it's a spirit spiral. It is a lifting up of things that's self-supporting over time. It's taken a while to get to this place. You know, we've got to put the time in, we've got to do the one foot in front of the other. We've got to, you know, listen to sponsor suggestions and all of those building blocks that go into it. Um, but upon that, we can discover and, and build a wonderful new life experience based on principle, you know, based on what, what I call leading a God-centered life. And, uh, and we just know that, that we're okay no matter what's going on and show up in the world that way. It's so much easier too, so much easier. You know, you bring that up and I'm remembering how hard it was because I had to walk through all of these. The first seven years of my recovery was terrible. You know, I mean, it was just terrible with people dying and, you know, my cancer diagnosis and, you know, bankruptcy and yada, lost jobs and just, you know, my life fell apart after I got into the program. And, and I'm remembering that because there's a line in the book that talks about huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. And in unity, we call that chemicalization. Mm-hmm. You know, when we have this, when we have this, these new ideas crashing up against these old ideas about how we live life and how we deal with these circumstances, and, and, and we don't have all the tools yet, at least I didn't, to deal with them. And I wasn't sure that I was going to be okay. You know, I leaned heavily on that community that you talked about earlier. And, um, you know, this, this uh, learning to lean on a principle, learning to lean on community, learning not to lean inside my own head until I could find those inner resources we spoke of earlier was really critical for me. And, you know, another thing that happened was that in the course of walking that path, I found that I had this, this uh, shift in priorities. I had this, I always had this hunger for more. You know, that's what they say about addicts. They say, you know, how much is enough? More. That's always the answer. And, but it was the target had shifted. It was not more experiences in life. It was not more alcohol or drugs. It was not more food or more this or more that, uh, you know, uh, material experiences. It was more information on how to go deeper in this spiritual walk, you know, which, which created a big shift. And so one of the things that happened for me was I started, well, I turned off the radio. And I turned off the television and I learned to be in silence and to be with myself. And that probably helped me as much as anything to recognize the true from the false because I could hear what my head was telling me. You know, I had a bumper sticker on my car in the 80s, maybe into the 90s, and it said, kill your television. I was adamant about what you just shared. Turn that TV off, turn the radio off. I'm still that way about it. I think that that's, I think what you're pointing at there is, is, you know, when, 
when I begin to make a shift from living according to others or to the outside of things to a shift from living from the inside out, I don't want to hear all what what really amounts to someone else's decisions about what's important. What happened, you know, what happened? There's 7 billion people in the world today. And you're going to tell me in 30 minutes the most important things that happened in the world today, according to who? I'm not sure. I'm not buying it. I don't believe it anymore. I'm not saying they didn't happen. I'm just saying I'm not going to let other people set my priorities of what's most important to me and what's not most important to me. And to that end, what what has become topmost for me, top priority, is what I just call authenticity. And I didn't have a word for that. I, I knew there were people that I began to meet um, in recovery who had something that seemed to me to be a, a very powerful and valuable thing. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know, you know, why is it when this person talks, it just seems to be true and carry so much more weight than, than other people. I, but I began to recognize over time that what they had was authenticity. They weren't putting on a show at any level for anyone. They really were showing up the way they actually were, you know, whether it was right or not, according to other people, whether it made them look good or not, according to other people. And that kind of authenticity has become a top priority for me. You know, that's one thing that you and I, or at least from where I sit, are doing on this show. Who wants to go and record yourself uh, acknowledging all these embarrassing ways of being in the world, mistakes made, uh, you know, I don't know what even to call it. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do. <laughs> all this pre-recovery stuff. And what do we do? Uh, we get on here and we talk. I just pretend no one's listening. That's what I do. We get on here and we talk about, man, I used to do this and I used to look at it that way. All that stuff. Who wants to do that? You know what that is? That's just... I don't want to call it penance because I don't have that worldview, but it is practicing doing things differently. It is practicing showing up in an authentic manner. And, you know, one thing that it really helps me, and I know we don't have um, uh, a bleeper on the show, and I'm not going to say anything that needs bleeping, but in my head, I have found that I genuinely have come to many times say, I don't give a bleep what they think of me. That right there makes it all worth it. I don't think, I don't know that I ever would have thought that I could say that. And, you know, we were talking in the show earlier about our assets, about our attributes and our skills and our talents and our abilities and things of that nature. One of the things that really helped me was to do an asset inventory and find out just exactly who am I? You know, how do I feel about people and how do I not just my behavior show up in the world but but who am I as a person and I was given this exercise to finish a sentence I am and not use the usual nouns I am a this or a that or a something else but to use adjectives like courageous or faithful or honest or things of that nature that truly I believed I I was or could be and that really helped shift my worldview qualities I love that yeah so let's now move uh, from ideas into action. Unity's fifth principle states, it's not enough to know these truths. We must live them. 
That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do to move from your old ways of being to an experience of more freedom and joy, like we're talking about, by growing in spirit and choosing differently. So think of an opportunity that you might have to make a better, healthier choice. For example, is there a situation in which you might choose to extend kindness to somebody that you don't really like very much? Or maybe you know you should say no to a particular invitation you've received, but you just haven't done that yet. Or maybe you've fallen back into an old habit, one that you really, really want to be rid of. What's important today at this moment is just to pick one thing, something simple, to focus on just in this exercise. The idea is to relax and to let this be easy so that you can take what you learn right here today into your life this week and return to it anytime you choose in order to find a moment of peace. So let's use the example of falling back into old habits. We use a statement of power or what we call in unity a denial to deny any power to this old way of being. You could say something like, old habits do not define me today. Repeat it a few times in your head or even say it aloud, but say it with conviction. Old habits do not define me today. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. You could say, the spirit within supports me in making different, healthier choices. And then take a deep breath and a few quiet moments. Relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. Just give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. Old habits do not define me today. The spirit within supports me in making different, healthier choices. And so we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope that you found something that can help you on your recovery path. We both bless you on your journey. Thank you, everybody, that was listening, and thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for all the insights that were shared in our discussion today. Listeners, again, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. We invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Liz Winter, and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.